Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates for hour number two. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. PK will be back with us tomorrow after the Pro Football Hall of Fame selection process is through today. Um, coming up in 20 minutes, we have Dr. David Chow. Pro Football Doc on Twitter is how you would recognize him there. And you also could read his work and watch his work at Outkick.com. We will get into Derrick Henry's return. For the Tennessee Titans going into the divisional round, what can be expected, workload predictions, and much more. That's all coming up with uh, Dr. Chow. And then Josh Pate of 24-7 Sports in the uh, second and uh, final hour of the uh, show remaining today. Hutton, may I bring something to light that's really bothering me today on this show? Absolutely. For a second straight day. Uh, Dylan Taylor uh, has been hired uh, by OutKick and, and Fox and is that now with you. us in studio. Um, I'm getting to the part that bothers oh, me. Oh. That, that definitely does not bother me because Dylan was a, a great uh, intern with us and does a terrific job, and I'm yeah. happy to have him on board. But now for a second straight day, Dylan, who is an Atlanta Braves fan, from what I can tell, we talk Braves. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking oh, to myself, am I, I making it. this up that, that he's an Atlanta Braves fan and we talk Braves throughout that great run and they won the World Series this year? And now for a second straight day, he is wearing a Cincinnati Reds ball cap in studio, and I don't understand why. So during the next break, we have to figure out this mystery as to why he's wearing the Cincinnati Reds uh, ball cap. I- I've known people that claim many teams that wear many hats, and if you just tell me that I just like the hat and have no affiliation with it, fine, that's okay. What I don't want, though, is a scenario where we have to fire Dylan two days into his time with us because he's going to tell me that he's also a big Cincinnati uh, Reds fan. Dylan, uh, does this go back to the scenario that played out here uh, a while back with um, a fan of another team and you were trying to make some impressive uh, showings, first impressions? No. No. So I don't know what it is. We'll find out during I'm the break. The- I, I, w- I want to tease this mystery out. Uh, but I didn't want to give it away because we're we're broadcasting live at six in the Peabody, so I didn't want to give it away if that person happened to be here. But honestly, we're you know we're adding their loss. We're adding new radio affiliates. We're doing different (laughs) things. So I feel the need to always sort of refresh things with this show. Uh, We are anti claiming a bunch of teams, especially when you claim a bunch of teams that make zero sense. Right. You know, if you're a Denver Broncos fan and a Chicago Bulls fan. And a Boston Red Sox fan, I don't want to hear about all these different teams. Dylan, to my knowledge, like me, is an Atlanta Braves baseball fan. But yet he's wearing he's like, a Reds ball cap. And we hear from people back who back are in our fantasy football league or try to get in annually. And they always say, like, oh, I've, I've won the championship. I've won the fantasy football championship in whatever league they're in over the last, you know, six out of the last 10 years, whatever they want to say. Well, then the next question is, how many leagues are you in? Because if you're in 10 different leagues, chances are you're going to be a champion in one of them. We don't care. 
Tell us about your one team. Yeah. Stick the, with the, the one, one team. Stick with the one team. And, and here's the other thing that just absolutely gets my, my blood boiling. I have a buddy who is a, I kid you not, he's from Middle Tennessee, and he is a Georgia, lifelong Georgia football and Vandy basketball fan <laughs> in the same division. And I had to witness this guy on Facebook and Twitter post these, you know, dramatic posts about how excited he was to watch Georgia break that 41-year drought for a national title and how emotional it was for him. And he's gutted through so much heartache with this Georgia football program. And to see them win it all was such a big moment. And then turn around a week and a half later, and he's tweeting about the great win of his Vanderbilt Commodores at Georgia in basketball a week and a half later. That kills me. That rubs me the wrong way, too. Kills me. And I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people from uh, mid-state Nashville area that are Vanderbilt basketball, but not Vanderbilt everything fans, because they grew up when Vandy basketball was pretty good. Now they're not, but yet they're still Vandy basketball. But they they like other football teams. I, I hate that so much. Anyway, just wanted to were put you it a- out there. What what type of show we are where we stand, and we need to refresh these things time to time. Were you a, were you a Mike Mayock guy? I was a huge Mike Mayock media guy. I loved him. I, I think he was the best talking head draft analyst out there on television. So he gets fired uh, yesterday around 6.30 Eastern, and reports were out by 5.30 Eastern that they were requesting permission to speak with uh, one of the assistant uh, uh, front office guys in in New England, uh, and uh, one in uh, the assistant general manager in uh, Indianapolis, to name two of them. And the writing was on the wall at that point. You're like Mayock's out too. Um, what's interesting? It feels like it just wasn't reported in order. The reports came out about who they were talking to before people realized. I think they fired him first. Well, it's just or, the news got out. Yeah, second. The, the news of the request yes. got out, and then maybe before the news of the fire, they're on got the west out. coast. So maybe you're having the meeting with them at three thirty at the same time. News is getting out on the request that you hit send on before the end of the workday on the east coast. So if you're on Eastern time and you're the Colts, you know you need to let them know before they're headed home or headed out of the facility, one way or the other. So I think that's kind of the timing of it. But again, it's just my guess on it. I um. I'm I'm curious about the perception of this because I agree with you. I loved him on the draft coverage, but he's known in in Vegas as being the guy who reached on several different players throughout the draft. Now they they went to the postseason for the first time. Carr appeared in the first first uh, postseason game of his career, and they managed what they did with Gruden uh, resigning uh, a month into the season, but. The, the other storyline that keeps popping up is the, the, the report that came out that Gruden had final say on all of those decisions. All of those off-season additions, anything involving the roster, Gruden had final say on the player personnel issues and decisions. If that's true, then can't he just waltz back into draft TV and he can be taken as the expert? And, and it doesn't even have to be that. I, I, how many times have we seen... I mean, Rex Ryan has lost job after job. And Rex Ryan's on ESPN's game day coverage giving his opinion on a weekly basis. There's no reason why Mayock can't do the same. And I think and immediately yesterday that the sentiment was, 
oh, he needs to take a year off before getting back into TV so people will actually take his opinion seriously. I'm like, are you serious? Like, this guy was the best on TV at doing exactly what he did. I have a problem with that that line of thinking. It was someone who's really good on television or good in media in general that, oh, well, they went somewhere and it didn't work out ultimately and they got fired, so they need to take some time off before having any validity. Were they not valid before they took that job? He was absolutely valid because he did his research. He was really good at communicating draft prospects and the type of player they were and fits for different teams. He's going to be even better at it now that he's done the job mm-hmm. uh, of being the Raiders general manager. I, I, I don't see any reason why he doesn't go. He couldn't go right back to television or like you said, Hutton, be on the lookout for another general manager job because I think he's capable of, of doing both. I also get a little bit selfish with people who are really good in media in that I don't want them to hide away with one team working in a front office. I want Mike Mayock out there for the world to enjoy, for the football public. He's so good at it. I would rather him be on our television set or on radio shows or shows like this one giving draft analysis to all the fans as opposed to sitting in an office under a gag order from an owner not willing or able to talk about anyone because he's working for one team. We're going to talk about Peyton Manning possibly running the Denver Broncos one day. I selfishly don't want Peyton Manning to do that because I want Peyton Manning doing Manning cast or the big Monday night football broadcast or more television commercials or whatever because Peyton Manning's really good in the public eye. And I'd prefer to enjoy Peyton Manning and Mike Mayock in the public eye as opposed to taking one of these jobs and being hidden from everyone. That's just me being selfish. Those guys obviously have the right to do whatever they want professionally, but selfishly, I want Mike Mayock back on TV because he's really good at it. He is. And and the Raiders, by the way, hire a new GM and head coach, and then they have a decision to make on cars. Cars going into his final year of that contract extension that he signed a couple years back. And you inherit Derek Carr, who's a solid QB, uh, but you come in with an opportunity to bring someone in. It's a similar situation to what Tannehill went through whenever they traded for him, and you had Mariota in the final year, and eventually – you made the transition. It could set up the same way if they don't make a move this offseason with Carr and they decide to bring him back. Again, uh, what he did and, and what that organization did uh, with all of the trials they went through this this season is is remarkable. Have we seen Dabo? And I'm surprised, Hutton, to just to close that out, that ownership in Vegas doesn't acknowledge that like we're acknowledging that. Well, with I, guys like Pisaccia well, and, and Mike Mayock, I feel like they're getting a bit of a raw deal from their own ownership because they're not acknowledging the great job of perseverance this year with everything going on that everyone else is. And maybe Basachi gets the job. Sometimes, though, you have to decide is it's where we are, what we're investing in, or am I likely sitting in a situation like this a year or two down the road where you're making the same move? I realize Sachi has did some great things, but we 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 don't know who they're replacing him with yet, right? Well, so I don't want to judge the move until you find the replacement. There are a lot of people that really respected Mike Malarkey, and then Mike Malarkey was the interim, and he got the head coaching job. Mike Vrabel is tons better than Mike Malarkey at results, and that you can upgrade even if you have a good option. Malarkey was good. Vrabel has taken them to the next level. 
I want to reserve judgment for the judgment of the actual hire the Raiders make and not just rumors of what direction, uh, what direction they're going. But Mike Vrabel is a great example of kind of kicking up rocks and finding a really good head coaching candidate. I mean, not that no one knew who Mike Vrabel was, but Mike Vrabel didn't have some long coaching tenure where you knew he was a slam dunk, no-brainer, great NFL head coach. People that worked with him, that coached him, that played with him, that, co- that played for him, Love Mike Vrabel, but it was a good job of the Titans organization at the time taking a chance on a guy that had been a coordinator for a year in the NFL, had been a position coach before that, had been a position coach in college at Ohio State, and they found a gem of a, of a coach for the NFL. Um, but what I'm seeing with Mark Davis and the Raiders is this, they're going to go find another coach to put on billboards, and that coach is Jim Harbaugh. If you were hiring a coach to put on billboards for an NFL team, that's not the right way to go about it. No, And I will be judgmental of that move, not because I think that Jim Harbaugh is definitely going to be a failure in the NFL if he goes back, but if you're doing that because you want a celebrity like John Gruden was, I don't think that's the best way to go about it, and I think I know I will be looking even less favorably at their decision not to keep Basachi at that point to go with a quote-unquote billboard head coach, if, in fact, that's what happens. Um, coming up, we've got Pro Football Doc. We'll get into uh, in just uh, a matter of uh, seven minutes. First, though, Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, for the first time, has accepted, he's dipped into the transfer portal. They've got Hunter Johnson coming back to them, I believe, as either a fifth-year graduate who's coming back to Clemson um, for his final year. And uh, initially... Uh, he goes to Northwestern after originally going to Clemson and made the decision to spend the final year by calling up uh, Dabo. And and the storyline goes, Chad, he thought he was going to be like a GA or something. Like he wanted to go in and just be a graduate assistant and, and help out. And Dabo said, you know what, why don't you come into the quarterback room and actually you compete. Know, have, yeah, and compete for the job. And People are going, oh, maybe this is Dabo going, you know, turning the table on his stance on guys who commit and decommit and all that. But this is this seems to be a special circumstance. We've also seen this twice now where Cincinnati lost a quarterback to transfer to Eastern Michigan, went and started Eastern Michigan, transferred back to Cincinnati, where he is the presumed starter for the Bearcats next year. Familiar with him. He liked the program. He just wasn't going to get to play over Desmond Ritter and comes back and now he's going to start. I'm, I'm all for that. The Hunter Johnson thing is interesting. He was originally committed to Tennessee, changed the commitment, went to Clemson, uh, was not going to play at Clemson because of Trevor Lawrence, goes to Northwestern, now may have a chance to play again, goes back to Clemson. You're right, Hutton, that it is funny with uh, Dabo Sweeney's stance on all this that he's now taking a transfer back to Clemson. Josh Pate, who we're going to have on at, at 520 Eastern 420 Central, uh, he posted some video of a quote from Kirby Smart about the way the college game is heading is going to push the good people out of the sport that aren't going to want to deal with NIL and transfer and everything else because he says the sport is worse than it was 10 or 15 years ago, and these coaches are going to be sprinting towards the NFL even if the money isn't quite as good because they don't want to deal with all that. They want to coach football. They want to be around players. Um, I thought about Dabo Sweeney. When I, when I saw that, the, the first person that popped in my mind was 
this is what Dabo Sweeney was talking about. We can all make fun of Dabo Sweeney. He comes across as a televangelist at times. He seems like he'd fit right in with the Righteous Gemstones on HBO. <laughs> I understand all of that. Uh, I think he's somewhat genuine most of the time, though, with, with what he's saying. He's obviously done a great job at Clemson. And uh, when, I, when I heard that, I thought, yeah, that, that makes sense for a guy like Dabo Sweeney. And it also makes sense that the transfer he's bringing in at quarterback is a guy he knows really well, mm-hmm. that he recruited hard, that was at Clemson, that played for him before, and now he's coming back. All of that makes sense. And they have Uangale, who is not performing well. He completed 55% of his passes on the season. And he's again, he's what Chad just said, he's got a guy that's coming in for a final year who he knows extremely well and trusts. And he's breaking a new offensive coordinator now. Well, that, that too. Because Scott finally took a head coaching job and went to Virginia. It looks as though Derrick Henry is ready to make his debut for the Tennessee Titans this week. They haven't officially elevated him to the main roster yet, but they're, they're going to. The question is, what can we expect from King Henry? Can it be King status? That may be one way to look at it. We try to set the bar uh, with OutKicks expert. We've got Dr. David Chow, who will join us next. Pro Football Doc on Twitter. Joins us next on Outkick 360. Dr. Chow, we say hello to you. We appreciate the time as uh, we are on the uh, uh, on the doorstep of seeing Henry make his uh, debut back from injury. Just first and foremost, what have you observed in the, in the practice footage since he's been back and elevated back to practice with the team? Well, first of all, look, uh, I know you guys are national, but also you're based in Nashville. So obviously a lot of local interest in this. And so I always like to talk about good news. And the good news is there's no question in my mind that Derrick Henry is playing this weekend, right? So that's the good news. And I don't think anyone had any question about that. And I also believe that Derrick Henry can be very effective. He's a great running back. That's the good news. The bad news, I think it's too much to expect that you get King Henry. 30 touches, 200 yards. Look, I'm happily proven wrong. But the reason why I say that's too much to expect, look, could he go 15 for 100? I mean, and share with Foreman? Yeah, maybe. I hope so, right? But we'll see. I did get a chance as I was logging in with you guys here, and thanks for having me on, to go back and review the latest video from Turin Davenport and Jim Wyatt and Teresa Walker, the ones that I've been looking at, a practice video. And I haven't made a new video, YouTube, and done formal analysis yet. But if you go back to my Twitter timeline, I'll, and I'll try and put it out there, and Outkick may have even written about it uh, using some of my quotes. He clearly is favoring his right side last week and in the limited video that we see here. To me, it's obvious it's his right foot with the stress fracture, fifth metatarsal Jones fracture. Look, he's Derrick Henry. The video you're showing right now, he's only half, three-quarter speed. He's big. He's taking contact. That's good. But there are a couple of times in there in the video, and hopefully if it shows up, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it, where he doesn't really plant very hard on the right foot compared to the left. And look, he's going to be effective. He's going to play. But I don't believe he's anywhere near 100% at this point in time. And then the other thing is, as you mentioned in the opening correctly, this is a stress fracture. It happens from overuse. Mike Rabel and company and the medical staff are smart. 
You don't take a guy with a stress fracture that got there with overuse and overuse him in his first game back, right? And so the Titans hopefully are going lots of places this year down the divisional round. So I think they'll take all that into consideration. It's going to be great to have Derrick Henry back, but let's temper expectations from his, oh my God, greatness. But let me tell you, 85% of Derrick Henry anyone would ha- have in their backfield. Is it is it uh, too simple, or maybe it's just dumb of me to assume, that based on what you're saying, and I watched your video, and we'll, we'll retweet it because it was very good, and it was based on previous practice observations, not the one from today. Last week, yes, last week, right. not this week. But yeah. is it too easy to presume that we should expect runs to the left, to the left side of the line, based off of what you're saying? Well, I think that's... Um, Possible that they may favor that. But remember, this, be it the stuff that I put out there, or the video that you see, the other team gets to see it too, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, can you really just be one-sided? I mean, I, I don't want to get in the head of Mike Rabel and company. I think he's an excellent coach. I've had the fortune of knowing him a little bit, and, uh, you know, he's going to have all that worked out, um, and we'll see. But I can tell you, if you go back and look at all the runs in the videos, when he runs the left and that outside foot is a left foot, he makes a much more definitive cut than on the right foot. And do you guys notice it too? I mean, well, when I pointed out? No, so I didn't notice it. Uh, Paul, uh, who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame selection uh, committee uh, meeting right now, he can't make the show, but he pointed this out yesterday. He was like, you need to go check out Pro Football Doc because we had observed this. We were playing video that Paul brought back on the show and, you know, just to us, it looks like, oh, look, he looks like he's doing what he would do in training camp, right? Like the same type of drills and everything. And it left us extremely optimistic. And then he said, you need to go check out what Dr. Chow put, because based on what he's explaining, you can actually see it where he's favoring the right foot over the left. And I had not noticed it until you pointed it out. It's subtle. It is. And he's and he's great, right? I mean, he's unbelievably fantastic. But this is the NFL. And if you guys remember, this spring, I forget the date, there was all this optimism about Bud Dupree and his ACL this summer. And we went over video, and fans and everyone said, look at how great Bud Dupree looks. And I'm like, no, I think he's favoring his knee tremendously. And if you go back, and I don't, you know, I try and follow the entire league, I think you could agree that Bud Dupree's last few games have been a lot better than his first few. Much better. Right? He's rounded into form. And that's all I was saying. And, um, you know, and uh, even though Bud Dupree looked great, that's not anywhere near 100%, and he was going to have a slow start to the year. And it's subtle, and I'm not certainly hating on any of the Titans at all. Is it fair? Because what we've seen from Dupree in September to now is is much different when he's actually no available. No question. But is it is it fair for Henry? Is it fair for us to assume that if the Titans advance, he's much better next week than he would be this weekend? Well, healing from any injury is more of a slow sunrise than a light switch just popping on. Right. That last few percent takes a long time. If you look at Bud Dupree. His early season wasn't so good. I know he had some other issues, but he's gradually come on over time, right? And I think that's going to be the same here with Derrick Henry. You usually don't see quantum leaps one week to the next from this this type of injury. Look, I was pleasantly surprised. It seemed like last night from the week before. Cam Akers 
seemed to take a little bit of a quantum leap, which seemed unusual. The week before, he was very pedestrian. This week, okay, 17 carries, which was, wow, a lot, only 55 yards. But more importantly, he looked fairly explosive. And this week, Cam Akers looked a lot different than last week. Look, is it possible to make gains every week? Yes, and I think he will. But you don't go from, you know, not 100% to 100% in one week. Uh, look, the further the Titans get and the closer to the Super Bowl or into the Super Bowl they get, the better Derrick Henry will be. Doctor, we've officially gone from the era of praising team sport athletes that give it their all to get back quickly and play sometimes not even at 100% to a lot of people criticizing athletes who don't just say, hey, I'm going to go into the offseason, get ready, and make as much money as possible, and uh, I'm not going to play in this game. I'm going to bail out on my team because i got to do what's best for me. Um, I'm seeing some of this with Derrick Henry where there's some second guessing of I don't know why you would rush back. You're risking injury. Uh, It's going to hurt your long-term career. So I guess my question to you is what is the risk for Derrick Henry in playing this game, knowing that you got an offseason right around the corner, but coming back at the start of this window in the recovery process as opposed to training camp next year, what exactly is the risk for Derrick Henry right now? Well, anytime you do risk analysis, and I did it with a lot of athletes, I have not examined Derrick Henry, you got to have an honest discussion. Look, if Derrick Henry were to ask me what's the best thing for him to do for his health and his foot, it's stop playing the collision sport of football, right? Lose weight and stop playing the collision sport. But in this case with his foot, it's not a joint. In the worst case scenario, he re-aggravates it, re-breaks it, or has pain and can't go. If he, even if he were to have another surgery, it's not going to prevent him from being ready to go week one next season. So, and I don't see how this can have long-term effects for his career. So with that in place, my assumption is Derek Henry wants to go. The medical staff of the Titans have discussed the risk issues, and the team is now just going to see how far they can ride him. But I think Vrabel will be smart in the Titans. I don't think they're going into a game plan of we're going to rush Derrick Henry 30 times, 20 times in the second half. I mean, you know, uh, especially since Dante Foreman's done fairly well, they want him for the conference championship game. They want him for the Super Bowl. How much of this could you chalk up? And and you've worked with so many athletes coming back from injury to uh, it being somewhat mental in terms of not wanting to put any pressure on it because of what they felt the last time they put a lot of pressure on it and just having to get past the mental hurdle of pivoting off of it enough times to where you know it's okay. No question, right? And the video that we see of Derrick Henry today and last week is all the portion open to reporters, right? Right. There's usually music blaring in the background. It's not full go. It's half speed, three-quarter speed. It's a lot easier to say, I'm just getting warmed up. Let me get used to this and not, you know, really go hard. So I hope that come game time with adrenaline flowing and when someone's chasing you, right, that Derrick Henry will make better one cuts and and so forth. And I'm not doubting him. I mean, look, uh, it seems from the video that I've seen, even though I say he's not 100 percent, 
there's no question in my mind I would be telling the team and Derek, there is some risk, but this is your risk and we can monitor it. But I think you're able to play and contribute. So uh, I'm not being a Derek Henry naysayer here. But yes, you're right. It's possible when the lights turn on and it's game action and you just go. But it's not something they're going to inject to make pain-free. So uh, I had a little bit of commentary before my previous question. And I don't say that to say that I have a problem with college players that want to opt out of a bowl game to get ready for the draft if they're going to be a first or, or second round pick. But I, I, it does frustrate me that suddenly it shifted from, you know, uh, you, now you can't praise the guys who do play in the bowl game because they wanted to play for their team, right? Well, no, no, let's not talk about that because that in some way is degrading those that opted not to play if you glorify those that, that stayed and played with their team. I say all this to ask you, as a doctor, what goes through your mind when you watch Matt Corral get hit and injured in the Sugar Bowl and the, the debate that sparked after the fact Luckily, he's not seriously injured. It's a bad sprain. But what goes through your mind when you see that and you see him making it very vocal in public that, hey, I'm sticking around to play with my team, and then, oh, that injury happens? Well, fortunately, that injury isn't going to make his draft stock go down. It's a high ankle sprain. It's going to prevent him from having workouts at the combine. But how many first-round quarterbacks would work out at the combine anyways? Good point. He's going to be ready for his pro day. I don't know that it changes anything. I think there are certain GMs out there that like the fact that he's dedicated to his team, that like the fact that they're not going to mail it in when the chances get low for a team, their team making the playoffs. So it may help raise his stock. It's very individual. I think decisions to play or not play are very, very individual, and I would support them either way. But let's take a look at – I wish for some consistency. Let's take the example of uh, Jameson Williams. Alabama wide receiver in the national championship game that tore his ACL and, and we tweeted it six score.com. We talked about it and outkick wrote on it in game. And unfortunately it was confirmed he tore his ACL. What I found funny is the same people that were saying he shouldn't have played in the game, even though it was a national championship game are saying he should now not turn pro and he should come back next year to college. Like, wait a minute. You don't want him to expose himself to injury in the one game of the national championship game. He shouldn't have done that, but you can expose him to 12 more contests next year. I said, just like the case with Tua, because of the injury, it's going to make him turn pro regardless. A, he's the first round talent. B, you want to recover maybe name image likeness money is a lot better right now, but you want to recover on your own dime or the NFL's dime as you do rehab, right? And burn a year off earlier of your first contract. The goal is to get to the second contract. Is this going to hurt Williams a little bit this year? Yeah, maybe. I I don't know if he was going to be drafted 15 to 20, maybe he's drafted 25 to 30. Look in Tennessee, Jeffrey Simmons, you all drafted Jeffrey Simmons. And I was saying there's no way he's 100% in week one. But what I think, and I said it at the time, I was not critical of Rabel and and your GM making the pick. To me, what they're saying is, we're really good. This guy's special. We don't get a chance to draft a top 10 player. But here we can lower. We're okay if he doesn't come back and play the first year. We got the long play here that we're going to have a special guy. And I don't think they messed up on that draft. They were eyes open saying, 
we're a good enough team that we're never going to get that caliber player. So let's get him now and not worry if he's going to be ready in the early part of his rookie season. And I think everyone agrees that's a good pick right now. So a lot goes into it. Dr. David Chow is at Pro Football Doc on Twitter, and you can uh, read his work at Outkick.com and through the Outkick YouTube channel, as well as his own. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo. So he's already dealing with uh, swelling in his right thumb, which is his throwing hand, and now he's dealing with a shoulder sprain, which throws another wrinkle into this, and that's uh, on his right shoulder, I believe. What's he dealing with going into this week? And uh, I, I saw where there, there's a chance he could practice starting this week. Um, I, are you surprised by that? Well, Jimmy's been through a lot, and uh, he's really done a great job. Um, I think he played better than one can expect with that thumb. It clearly bothered him uh, in the playoff game. Uh, sorry, not the playoff game, but the last game of the season to get into the playoffs. His first half wasn't so good. He got the pain-killing injection at a better second half. He played pretty well against Dallas, but if you really look at it, he even he says the grip was an issue on that last bad pick, right, that he overthrew Yukon. Uh, and now in the last play of the first half that he threw, he landed on his elbow translating up into his shoulder. And at Sports Injury Central, we talk about it. It's likely uh, at sixscore.com, S-I-C-score.com, a rotator cuff contusion bursitis. This may affect his accuracy. Just because a quarterback is, quote, practicing and handing the ball off, that doesn't mean he's 100% on his shoulder. He's still not 100% on his thumb, yet he's making it work. And that's the same case with Derrick Henry, right? He's not 100%, but he's going to make it work. So kudos to Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, to me, if I were a 49er fan, my bigger worry isn't long-term with Jimmy G can play well or not well this year that right now. But look, you gave up three first round draft picks to get Trey Lance. And after a whole season of practice, when Jimmy G's not hundred percent, you still want to go with Jimmy G. What does that bode? What does it look like going forward in terms of your decision? And it's just a question, right? I love John Lynch. He's a San Diego guy, you know, and, and I respect him in his decisions, but that's just a question mark that has to be hanging out there. We've got a minute left, but I'm going to try to work this in. So Whitney Merciless is back at practice for the Packers, and he tore his bicep in November. I'm conditioned over the years to think that a torn bicep is season-ending, just like I have in, in years past with an Achilles, and we've seen Cam, Cam Akers do what he's doing now six months later. How You're right. And, okay. Yeah, and, and, and J.J. Watt with his pec two years yes, ago. J.J. Yes. Watt this year with his shoulder, right? Well, once again, Merciless be 100%? No. He's going to be able to run in space. He's going to be tackled with the shoulder. Now, if he has an arm tackle on that side, uh, the runner might run through the arm tackle. He's not 100%, but, you, you know, look, I think he provides depth and he can help the, the Packers this weekend. And, yes, things have changed and we've progressed and there are chances that people are taking. Safe to assume, Doc, that the, uh, the timetable for Henry's return is right on par with what you expected. I'm trying to go back. I think you said maybe 10 to 12 weeks, given the position and uh, the wear yeah, and tear. I, I, you know, yeah, well, initially, because he's so big too, right? I was like, six, eight weeks is not realistic. End of the regular season is not realistic. This kind of was always the target. Look, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he can be King Henry, right? I mean, I'll take it. I, I want all teams to be healthy and full go. But I wouldn't expect it. Uh, his first week back here. Great insight as always. We appreciate you and, and love your work at OutKick. Oh, thank you. Dr. David Chow, Pro Football Doc. Great follow on Twitter. In-game, 
post-game uh, instant analysis as all these games are going on. Check his uh, Twitter account out, and he mentioned his website. You can go through uh, Twitter for that as well, at ProFootballDoc. He, he is a must-follow for sure. Yes. Coming up, we discuss ownership opportunities. It is now for sale, the $4 billion-plus organization that is the Denver Broncos. And there are two Pro Football Hall of Famers who want in, and they're going to be bidding against each other. That's next on Outkick 360. The show goes on. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. We're not with leaving. With and Old Smoky Moonshine. Shout out to Jakob Swanson and Jonathan Moulton and the chairman of the board, David Reed. Speaking of we're not leaving, this reminds me. Uh, go to outkick.com and read the story about Leonardo DiCaprio and Matthew Stafford and his wife and Matt Ryan and his wife on vacation together. Trust me, uh, you're gonna you're gonna love it. I can't wait for that. I need to I I need to dive into this because you know I'm the. I can't believe I'm that uh, you saw it and didn't read it. You I, said I you were it. aware of it, but I've got not it on my phone. I just haven't gone back to it. I, I forgot to go back it's, to it last night. It's incredible. Um, the Denver Broncos, uh, due due to a court ruling, um, they are now officially available for purchase. This was in limbo because of the previous owners back in the 80s claiming some type of ownership right. First right of refusal. Based on the passing of Pat Bolin. And the judge came through and said, and, and the courts did, and said, in fact, no, it's been so long that none of this would stand up. The Bolins can do what they want here. Um, so what this is going to do is it's going to set new records for professional franchise for sale. And it's already valued at around $4 billion. But here's how the sale now goes. And I'll get to two of the figureheads at a part, as a part of this in just a moment, Chad. But they, they have to take the highest bid. So it's not a popularity contest where, oh, Broncos fans would love for John Elway, who's interested in owning the team, to have ownership of the team through his ownership group, so we're going to choose them. No, it is one of these submit your offers, and the ones that make it through the process, they have to select the most money. That's the rule in all of this. So you have to make your bid, and then if you're serious about it, which at this point you are, you have to hope that it's the highest bid, and then once it's the highest bid, it goes before the NFL and through their channels of, of all the background checks, it, then it, from there, it goes to the vote through NFL ownership. By the time it gets to that level, you're getting voted through. So in 2018, David Tepper bought the Carolina Panthers for $2.2 billion. $4 billion, as you mentioned, that's the estimated sell price now, four years later, of the Denver Broncos. Reports that there's two different ownership groups, one with John Elway in it, one with Peyton Manning. And others. And going, yeah, not just those two guys. They can't afford the team. No, They're, other groups. There yeah, are other groups plus those two groups. Right. Here would be my uh, – here's how I would do it. Can they not come together? And here's why. John Elway does not want to run the team anymore. He stepped aside a year ago as GM. Peyton is the one who I believe would want to run the team, be the general manager, be the president – be what John Elway was for the Broncos for years. So I feel like their case is strengthened 
if they're together and maybe they can even bring in more investors but it's together, if they're in two different groups, combine the two, you're guaranteed the highest bid. But they're partnered with their other strategic business partners in life, right? Like you're trying to go through all the, think about all the connections those two dudes have. Yeah. And if you want to, and guess, they're not the only, they're not the only, it's not like they're two groups and you're taking the highest bid. It's a group. I was reading last night that they expect this to be one of the, the, the busiest of, uh, for lack of a better term, like private auction where you're throwing a bid in and, and it goes to the highest bidder. They, they suspect this will be highly sought after and with multiple ownership groups trying to bid. So there's no guarantee that either one of them ends up with the team. Yeah, I just I don't think that it has to be uh, them pitted against each other, pitted against everyone else. I feel like there would be a way if you could get the big business people on the same side to combine the ownership groups and guarantee yourself the highest bid based on the money, the Manning group, that he's not leading it but a part of it, and the Elway group, again, not leading it but a part of it. If you got those big money people together, then you could ensure that Elway, Manning, together – with all of these big money people, well, what if you? Well, I know, I know one of these examples already owns a team, but what if you have Peyton's got Home Depot and Elway has Lowe's? How do you get those two dudes? Well, you together? don't. No, you don't. Then that's what we don't know. It's who they're teaming up with. And that, I would say it's more about their partners than it is them and their personal relationship, because Peyton went to Denver in large part because Elway was running things there. Headlines when we return, including what to expect and some of the top games of the NFL weekend ahead.